ask you this. Let, let, let me ask you this. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Sports Central. Chicago Sports Conversation with Adam Hogue. Go, go, go. This is Sports Central. On demand and streaming live on WGNRadio.com. Welcome into Sports Central. Happy Wednesday. Happy White Sox home opener eve. Hopefully they get it in tomorrow. It's not looking great, but we'll see. Kevin Powell in for Adam Hogue. Hogue is, I'm not sure where he is, but uh, I'm sure he's busy doing something important. I'll be with you for the next hour. Appreciate you tuning in to Sports Central. And after the show, um, you can uh, you can always revisit this at WGNRadio.com. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, all that good stuff. On the show today, Darren Jackson. He's on the WGN radio call with Ed Farmer. You can hear him every game on WGN. He's going to join us in about 15 minutes. We'll talk about the White Sox, the early going of the season. It's it's early, and uh, they're 2-2 two and two so far. But I uh, just want to get his reaction on a few of the players and talk about uh, this Sox rebuild and... Uh, a uh, little bit stuff there. Uh, we'll also talk with, uh, we'll hear from Patrick Sharp of the Blackhawks. He joined Steve Cochran this morning on WGN, so we'll get to that. And it is Masters Week, and anybody who knows me knows I'm a golf junkie, and I am super pumped for this year's Masters. I think uh, many have said that this is the most looked forward to Masters in years, and I couldn't agree more. Phil Mickelson's coming off a of victory, Tiger Woods has been competitive, two top t- uh, five finishes. He looks healthy. He looks good. And um, I'm just so happy Tiger's back. That's our lead today. The rest of my body's doing fantastic. I feel great. Um, I, I feel like I've, I've really put a lot of the pieces together. We've, we've worked on what body parts to get stronger, what body parts need to be more limber. And I feel fantastic. It's just a matter of now going out there and competing and playing and uh, posting numbers. He's back, baby. Tiger Woods is back. Like, a lot of people are skeptical about Tiger Woods. I understand that because for a while, for the past five years, basically, we hear Tiger's back and then he's grimacing on the course. He jams his wrist. He hurts his back. Something happens and he kind of falls apart. I think this is a little bit different. Spinal fusion surgery um, says he's pain-free. Last tournament he was in, he had the second fastest average uh, swing speed among the field. 42-year-old Tiger Woods. And he's bombing it out there. So I'm feeling good about Tiger this weekend. I don't know necessarily if he's going to win, but I absolutely think that Tiger will make things interesting, and I think he'll be competitive. Now, uh, cut four here, Ben. Roy McIlroy was asked about Tiger and Phil... Uh, playing a practice round together, which was pretty cool to see. I walked past Tiger on the range just there before he came in and spoke to you guys, and I said, I never thought I'd see the day. Tiger and Phil playing a practice round at Augusta. Um, So we had a bit of a laugh about that. It was cool to see. Now, I'm one of those people who have been... A lot of people want to call Phil and Tiger a rivalry, and I've never... I think everybody wants it to be a rivalry, but it's, it's not. Like, I wish I could ask Tiger and or Phil if they view their relationship as a rivalry. Because I know that many... like That was the narrative everybody wanted. 
when Tiger came on the scene and Phil had already been on the scene for a few years. But to me, rivalries are built on consistently playing a an opponent, especially on a big stage. Like Bears and Packers, obviously, because that's a rivalry, because they play each other twice a year. That's guaranteed. There are certain teams that play each other in sports often, and rivalries pop up for maybe it just might be for a five or ten year stretch. It's a rivalry because maybe the Bulls are playing the Cavaliers in the playoffs three years in a row. Um, you know, or LeBron versus Golden State is, has kind of turned into a rivalry. Not necessarily like a historical rivalry that dates back to 50 years ago, 100 years ago, like something like the Bears-Packers, but certain rivalries can pop up for, for five, ten years at a time, 15 years at a time, depending on how things play out. Much of it has to do with consistently playing a particular team or um, you know a particular um, competitor. But, I mean, it's so hard in golf for that to happen. I mean, the chances that both are in contention on Sunday in a major and then get paired together, like, to me, that would have created a rivalry. If we had, like, even two instances or three instances where Tiger and Phil happen to be paired together on Sunday in a major tournament at the Masters, U.S. Open, PGA, or the Open, that's where the rivalry is built to me. And I think everybody wanted this to be a rivalry. And I guess it sort of is, but the thing with Tiger is, like, I'm sure in his mind he wanted to have more majors than Phil, and he wanted to beat Phil. But guess what? Tiger Woods has that mindset with everybody in the field. He wants to be better than than everyone. He wants to beat everyone. So I don't know if it's necessarily a rivalry, but who knows? We, we were talking to Teddy Greenstein on the show a few weeks ago, and I said, how, how funny would that be that this rivalry or, or, or non-rivalry basically could turn into something a little bit more? Or basically, we, we would have a signature moment of Phil and Tiger while they're both in their, in their 40s. Tiger, Phil is 46, 47. Tiger's 42, I want to say. Um, it'd be really cool like if Tiger and Phil were paired together. This weekend on Sunday, both in competition. God, that would be awesome. We've never had that. We've never had that moment, like that signature Tiger Phil weekend. Nothing that I can think of. Maybe I'm missing something, but there there hasn't been that signature one-on-one. But I think it would be fitting. Phil's coming off a of victory this year. Tiger's been competitive. They played together in a practice round. By the way, Phil Mickelson was wearing a dress shirt for his practice round. Did you see that, Ben? Ben Anderson, producer Ben Anderson. I I did not. It's strange. It's like it's a full blown like dress shirt. That's that's weird. I've never seen him anything but like a polo. Phil looks good on the course. He's got a classy look to him. Goes with the Callaway brand. I like Callaway. It's it's a good brand. It's kind of expensive though. Um, but I I will admit that I've always tried to wear as much Nike as possible because I'm a Tiger fan and a Tiger junkie. I'm I'm so surprised at that. Ever since a kid, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted Nike this, Nike that on the golf course because of Tiger. And they don't have equipment anymore, and their equipment was never all that great. But I used to play the Nike One balls because that's what Tiger used, and I tried to use the exact ones he used. And for an amateur, they should not be using the balls. Tiger prefers a very soft ball because he likes to control it around the green and spin it. But you lose. And especially for an amateur golfer, I was losing like 10 yards on every shot, like off the tee, iron shots. But the ball spun, 
That's for damn sure, but certain golf balls should not be used by amateurs. Leave it to the professionals or people who know what they're doing around the golf course. Um, all right, let's get to some other cuts here, Ben. Cut two. Let's get to lefty. Um, you know, he talked about how important it was to get a victory this year leading into the Masters, and he's excited the way things are going for him to start the year. It's been a, a fun start to the year. It's been um, a lot of fun getting back in the winter circle in Mexico. Uh, more than that, it's been fun getting in contention, having opportunities to win and competing at, at the highest level week in and week out. I'm happy. Look, I'm happy Phil's uh, can back in it too. I mean, we're all talking about Tiger, but Phil had a victory this year. So I love when Phil's playing too. Like Phil's, you know, Phil's Phil's like in a he's he's growing like growing up. I I was never a huge Phil guy just because I was just so obsessed with Tiger. Um, but he's absolutely growing on me. I love I love to hear what he has to say. He's always got interesting things to say now. And look, he was pretty blunt about Tiger, and like people were asking about their rivalry or non-rivalry. Um, and he's like, "Look, no one's benefited more from Tiger's success than than me." And he's exactly right because there was that perceived notion that it, he was the counter to Tiger. They've all benefited from Tiger, all of them. You look at the purses have gone way up, ratings go up, all that sort of thing. The Tiger effect, and. Phil absolutely benefited from Tiger's success. Made a lot of money. Phil makes $30 million a year on endorsements, $40 million a year on endorsements. So he's doing all right. Cut three here, Phil. Um, again, very excited for for this event. It's the event that every, every kid dreams of, and this uh, this place has given every every. Uh, child who loves the game of golf to uh, to dream of and to aspire to be a part of and the drive chip and putt uh, gives these kids a young taste of how special this place is. The drive chip and putt event has been growing, and the Masters, by the way, announced that they will hold a because remember they just admitted females into the club ten years ago, fifteen years ago was the first female member, something like that. Um, anyways, Augusta announcing that they're going to hold a women's amateur event next year, and the it'll be 54 of the top women's players in the in the world, and the first two events will be held at a country club ne- near Augusta National, but not at Augusta National. But then the final 18 will be played at Augusta National. So I think that's pretty cool. I'm all for more. Um, I guess if we get to see a, Augusta National on TV more, I'm. I'm all in on them. I got to go to Augusta. I've got, like, I have to go to Augusta. It's not even like I just want to go at some point. I have to. It's like a need. It's like a cold glass of water when you're, you know, thirsty. You just you just need it. I have to go there. You, is that on your bucket list, Ben, Augusta, or you really don't give a damn? Uh, I wouldn't say it's on my bucket list. Yeah. I think it would be cool. Um, it know. would be more than cool, Ben. This is the Mecca of golf, I mean, I've I've been to a, a few uh, courses here and there, and the uh, this is Augusta National, Ben. I know. I what know. courses have you been to? Do you play golf? Uh, I haven't in a while, just because I haven't had time. But right. uh, I used to play a lot. Yeah, uh, used to play down in uh, South Carolina a lot over the summers. Yeah, um, that's right. We talked about that. Yeah. Good golf down there. Mm-hmm. Since South Carolina a couple of years ago, played a whole bunch of golf. I'm a golf junkie. All right, cut five here. Tiger Woods 
came out with a a book last year about the 1997, his historical Masters victory when he smoked the field. It was his first major tournament victory. I read the book, and it's outstanding. And it's pretty incredible that I was watching an interview Tiger did for ESPN last night, and it was really, really good stuff. But he he is a genius. He is. He's a genius of his craft. He, He remembers just about every single shot. And... I mean, this is 20 years ago, and he's revisiting the tournament and how things played out, and he basically walks you through almost every shot from that tournament. He he remembers it, like, to a T. And he's telling you about why he, he played a shot a certain way or the way he was feeling, his his perspective, his strategy on each hole. It's really interesting. If you like golf, if you if you like a good it, you could knock it out, like, in one night, 220 pages or something. Um, it's good stuff. Anyways, Tiger talked about the 97 victory yesterday. Of all the tournaments I've won, that was by far the most important tournament I've ever won. Uh, that was my first tournament as a first major championship as a professional. Um, in 1997, that was the last year because they changed the rule on the PGA Tour in 98 that uh, we would be getting a 10-year exemption on the tour. There you have it, Tiger Woods talking about the 97 victory. Dominant tournament from Tiger. Put himself on the map. Everyone had known about Tiger Woods. I mean, he was a phenom for years growing up. And then he shows up and he wins the damn Masters in 97. That's a remember where you were moment. I remember I was in the family room with my parents and my grandparents watching it. And I just, like, was eight or nine years old watching it. And I just figured... Like, it was cool even to watch them, but I, I figured the magnitude of it all because my mom and my grandma were zoned in on the TV watching golf. Again, the Tiger effect. People who don't even care about the sport will watch if he's in contention. But I, I remember I remember vividly being in the family room um, on that Sunday and, and watching Tiger do his thing. Uh, Tiger says that um, experience does help at Augusta National. Tournament really helps with having the experience and really understanding how to how to play this particular golf course. And I've played well over the years. I've won here a few times, and uh, but all those years that I've won, I've won part of my game has certainly stood out. Tiger says he hopes to be playing his best this weekend, as all of us do. Cut seven, Ben. All right, we'll I really hope I'm playing my best golf. I, I this is a tournament. I think that where experience does help a lot. I mean, I have played here and I've won here, not playing my absolute best. But there's got to be a certain part of my game that's on. Tiger very candid about the state of his game. When many, many thought he was done, I didn't think he was done. By the way, I had faith in him. Um, but Tiger thought his, his career was pretty much over. I thought prior to the, the fusion surgery that that's pretty much it. Um, I'll have a nice, comfortable, and great life, but I'll never be able to swing the club like I used to. Um, Speed-wise, there's, there's no way. Um, lower back fusion. But for some reason, I'm, I don't have any pain. Yes, I'm much tighter. Um, but I don't have any pain, and I've had to really work on strength in, in different ways. He's back. It's pretty remarkable that he he even himself thought he was done. 
You think back to last summer, there's that bad mugshot, the DUI, all the drugs in his system, and here he is, favorite heading into the 2018 Masters. It's pretty wild. Uh, I just really hope he's in contention. I mean, the ratings are going to be bananas if he's in contention on Sunday. We'll be watching. He tees off at 9.42 Thursday morning, and I can't wait. All right, coming up next on Sports Central, we'll talk to Darren Jackson on the WGN Radio broadcast for Sox games. Him and Ed Farmer will have the call tonight from Toronto on WGN. We'll talk to Darren Jackson next about the White Sox on Sports Central. All right, let's continue this love fest. There it is. It's Sports Central with Adam Hogue. No big deal. On demand ah. and in real time on WGNRadio.com. Welcome back to Sports Central. I'm Kevin Powell sitting in for Adam Hogue on this Wednesday afternoon. White Sox in Toronto tonight, and then their home openers tomorrow. Weather not looking great, but we'll see. Hopefully they can get it in. We're all looking forward to that. You can hear the call on WGN, and you will hear this man on the radio call, Darren Jackson, the great DJ uh, on the call with Ed Farmer every game on WGN Radio. You guys are sounding great, Darren. Appreciate you jumping on the show. Glad to be here, Kevin. Thank you very much. All right, early impressions of the 2018 White Sox. What sticks out to you so far? Well, you know, the theme all spring training, Kevin, was uh, 27 outs. Get the 27 outs. And Ed and I have been discussing this first few games. I talked to Rick Renteria, and um, it's all about minimizing your mistakes. Uh, defensively, you've got to try and go 27 straight outs with no flaws. And that's the focus. And I think. I told him yesterday, I told Rick Renteria yesterday, I said, you know, I've never really focused on that because it was something new that I'd seen them doing this spring. And he said, no, no, this has been going on. I go, well, never around me in baseball. So it's new to me. And it makes me now take notice of every single time a guy fields a ball and the deep gap out and against the fence, turns around, throws it to the cutoff man. What exactly are their position? Are they perfectly lined up? These are all things that I've always known, but I take even more notice of it now. If the throws a short hop, did he pick it? Because the focus all spring training was every throw should be perfect to the cutoff man. The secondary cutoff man shouldn't even come into play. You turn, you throw, communicate. So I'm paying attention to all these things. And uh, so far, there's no way they've been close to doing that. But that's where they're going to create their growth. All of a sudden, they're going to know, all right, and they're taking accountability. That's what Rick told me. When they make a mistake, he starts to walk to them, and they go, I know, I did this, I did that. So um, it's making the players better, and that's the key. These guys have to keep getting better every day. Well, it's, that's the interesting part of it where, look, I don't think many of our of, of us are anticipating a, a, a postseason run or anything like that, but who knows? They could surprise. But there is an absolute serious interest from the fan base, from the baseball world, because of where they are with these core guys, your Tim Andersons, Moncada, Giolito, you can be you can be bad and interesting or bad and uninteresting. So even if the Sox are losing, I think Sox fans are are, are paying a much closer attention to all those twenty seven outs. Even if they are losing games, even if it's not a close game, I think there's there's reason to watch and pay close attention to the twenty eighteen White Sox. No, I think that's a great analogy. Bad or interesting, or bad or uninteresting, and that's the key for this team. They want to be interesting and the talent is there with the core players. You also have some guys that already are just kind of honing and tweaking and doing their thing. They're veterans, like Avi Garcia can play. You, you know, he, he's just, it's a daily grind. 
of tweaking and adjusting to whatever's going on that day. You also have Abreu and Wellington Castillo. These guys know what to do, but they're just making slight adjustments uh, to their their routines. The other guys are still learning day in and day out, but I think it will be interesting because we've got to see that growth. We can't keep repeating ourselves as broadcasters and coaching staffs and organizations saying, yeah, he made the same mistake time and time again because that should get you a demotion. If you're not getting better on a regular basis at the big league level, then you have to go down and hone your skills at the minor league level again. So we're trying to avoid that, watch these guys grow here at this level and be interesting. Yeah, there's so much to dissect with the the Sox now. I could talk talk to you for a whole hour, Darren, about about uh, the certain <laughs> players and this rebuild. And and before we get into, I guess, some of the younger guys and and get your thoughts on on them. I, I look at a guy like Jose Abreu, and you look at the numbers he's put up the last four years. They're almost unprecedented around baseball, where he's just been so steady and consistent. Basically, thirty homers and a hundred RBIs is what you're going to get from Jose Abreu. I'm curious as to what you think his long-term future with the Sox is, and do you think he does fit into this rebuild, and, and will he be around when the championship window does open up? You know, I I, I kind of look at him as the second coming of a Paul Konerko. So, yeah, I, I think you would want him around, especially in the direction where we have the talent with so many Latin players. He's your guy. He's a quiet leader. He's a professional, and when you watch him day in and day out, if you're a younger player, you're going, wow, this guy's perfectionist. He doesn't waste his time out here. He puts the max effort into all of his practice. His focus is high every game. Even if he's swinging at bad pitches, that's just because he's off. But his, his approach, his thought process is all good. I would love to see him around when this team is finally in a position to try and compete for the division and then go to the postseason and, and try and win a World Series, but you know, that's business. That's the hard part for any of us to try and predict. That's, you know, we've already seen the best of the best of the White Sox move out of here and get the returns for the future. But I personally would love to see Jose here uh, his whole career. He's the kind of guy that you like having around, simple as that, in more ways than one. And I'll tell you what, he's a manager's best friend, too, because he's on board with whatever the manager's trying to sell. If he says, we need to do this, we need to do that, He's going to shake his head. I'm on board. Let's go do it. So, you know, he's one of those guys, you said, you could talk about him all you want, but uh, for me, he sticks around. Yeah, you mentioned the way he leads with with some of the younger guys and the Latin players, and particularly Yoan Moncada, fellow Cuban. So let's go from the veteran to a younger guy in Moncada. I've had this conversation with a few people about Moncada, and I've said that I, I have no reservations that he's going to be a great baseball player. I'm just not sure yet what sort of player he's going to be. He's leading off now, but is he a middle-of-the-order guy who's going to hit you 30 home runs. How do you project Moncada for the long term in his uh, in his career? Hey, look, in a perfect world, he stays in the leadoff spot for the next 15 years for the White Sox because he's got the potential. I mean, Hall of Fame potential. It's not, And that's not stretching it at all because you don't have many five-tool guys that come around, and he's that. He has power from the left side, the right side, speed. Um, he's got a great arm. He, he's just a player that when you acquire him, you have to be patient and let him get his repetitions. He's got to get the ground balls. He's got to get the swings. He's got to learn the pitchers. Um, I just see him being the guy that, uh, you know, Roberto Alomar type player, maybe, maybe not with the instincts yet that Roberto had at a young age, but the similar type player with way more power than Robbie had. But 
I watch him. I watch him take batting practice. His approach is good from the first time that I saw him take batting practice. Same thing with Jose Abreu. He had the best approach in batting practice, which he takes into the game. And when you see how a guy practices, that's what you need to see. What does he do when he practices? Is he wasting his time? Is he, is he all of a sudden trying to just hit home runs? He never gets outside of being a professional in his practice, which is a key that lets you know that he's taking this serious and he doesn't want to waste his time. He wants to be as quick as he can at the big league level, learning and try and be a star for this team as soon as possible. Well, one of the guys he's built a relationship with, when I was on spring training, it was it was these two were basically arm-in-arm arm the entire time, and Tim Anderson. Moncada and Anderson seem to really have built a bond. Um, they seem to be having fun together. Tim Anderson, Darren, you, you know what he went through last year. He lost his best friend who was gunned down in a parking lot back in Alabama. Um he was quiet. He was reserved. You could tell he was down last year. And then this spring, he's like a whole new guy. I think he's at peace. He's, you know, he, he seems upbeat and happy. Incredible amount of talent there. Um, you know, I, I, I was anticipating a huge season from Tim Anderson this year. Curious as to what you've seen from TA so far. And, and do, you, do you agree that you, you do see big things for him this season and, and even long term? Well, his raw natural ability is astounding as an athlete. So he's fun to watch just because of his athleticism, that's for sure. But you're going to still see some hiccups. He made an error last night, got a little quick, a little rushed, and I just talked to him the other day about does he have the ability to slow things down yet. And, and by that, it's when you get to the big leagues at first, you think you've got to just be fast. You've got you to get to the ball fast. You've got to swing, go get the ball out in front of home plate quickly. You it's the opposite of that. You've got to let the ball come to you defensively, be under control and calm. And he's not at that stage yet, but he said he's there. That's something he's working on. He understands what, what it means is everything slowing down for you right now. He and I had a conversation about it. He feels confident that he's getting there, but we have to see it on the field. So I think Tim's just a raw talent that just needs to slow down a little bit He's going to hit. He's going to hit for power. He's going to drive the ball. He's showing off his speed with a couple of stolen bases in last night's game. Uh, I'm a big Tim Anderson fan, but at the same time, I know that he's still going to make some mistakes because his natural instinct, especially defensively, is uh, to be in a bit of a hurry. So he's forcing himself to slow things down. He's just not like uh, uh, Omar Vizquel at shortstop where everything's just smooth and easy. It's going to look like he's having trouble with some balls that are routine, and then he's going to have show more range than any other shortstop in baseball and make a highlight play. You're going to go, are you kidding me? Yeah. So that's what makes him really fun to watch because, honestly, you don't know what you're going to get, but it's going to probably be something that excites you. So do you think he, he can be an everyday shortstop for the next 5, 10 years or would potentially moving him to the outfield or something like that be, be in the picture? Do you see him as the White Sox shortstop of the future? Um, I, I, I haven't said that to myself yet. I haven't just said Tim Anderson's going to be here five years from now at shortstop. I also haven't said that he's not going to be. I'm kind of laying back in the wings right now because of the 28 errors he made last year. I need him. I need him to show me he can, as we were just discussing, slow down on the routine plays. And when I start seeing that and seeing all these, see him reach out in front and field some ground balls with ease rather than kind of stab at him at the last second. And it looks like it's not the most comfortable thing. And everybody can see that. Um, you know, then I'll say, oh yeah, he's there. He can handle this. He doesn't feel like he has to hurry. And you cannot hurry at the position of shortstop. You've got to know what you're doing. Your instincts have to be in there. And I just don't see yet that he's, he's so instinctual at shortstop that it's his natural position. I just know he's a great athlete, 
and he can play the position, and he could probably be there 10 years from now, but that's a matter of if a club says, we're not worried about him making a miscue here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on to another guy who's off to a, a pretty good start, um, to say the least. Sox had six homers in the opener. Half of those were off the bat of Matt Davidson. Um, your, your thoughts on Matt Davidson, and do you think he can be... Uh, I know I keep asking you about long-term for the Sox, but that's kind of where we are with this team. It is, is kind of projecting moving forward and sorting through different players and seeing where they fit into the puzzle. Does Matt Davidson move the needle for you? Do, can you see him long-term as as a DH and kind of an uh, you know a guy that you rotate in and out at third base or even first base? Well, the, the, with the term long-term anyway nowadays for me... It's uh, guys are just moving parts in this business now. So I don't see Matt necessarily as being here long term, but I do see him playing the big leagues quite a long time because his power is there. But at the same time, um, it's a difficult job to try and establish yourself as a DH. And so far, first couple of games, he was able to handle that. I think the hardest transition for a younger player is to give up a, a defensive position and just sit there in the dugout, watch the game, then go up and hit. Veterans can handle it better than young players. It's not the easiest thing to do when you feel you can help defensively when you're not swinging the bat well. So I'm kind of sitting here now waiting to see how he handles this new full-time role as DH. He's going to have to get on the field and feel like he's part of things when he's not swinging the bat well. He's going to hit home runs. He's as big and strong as anybody we have. Home runs to right, center, left is not a problem for him. How often is he going to make contact is a big key. He's going to strike out. Last night he had a tough night. I don't think he agreed with the strike zone of the home plate umpire. Struck out three times, a couple times looking. So, you know, there are those games like that. But we have to kind of keep an eye on Matt and just make sure that he doesn't fall into a long slump where he's not making solid contact because when you see that, as a manager, you have to go, okay, how do we make him better? Should we get him out on the field for a few games defensively so I can clear his mind, feel like he's doing something positive? I mean, these are all the way and balance and keeping an individual where he's feeling like he's contributing. But as a DH, the only way you contribute is by swinging that stick, and it's not that easy for young players. Let's move to the pitchers uh, quickly. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, Carson Fulmer, those are the three Sox fans are, are most excited about. They they matter. They matter for the long term. It's a big year for, for all of them. Um, I guess early impressions from you on, on Giolito and Lopez, who have already made one start, one start each. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I think they both were outstanding, to be honest with you, because Giolito, what a battle. I mean, he was almost 50-50 balls to strikes. If he threw 100 pitches, 50 were balls, 50 were strikes. And he still kept the team in the game. That shows me something. When you're, when you're not locked in as a pitcher and a young pitcher like Lucas, um, and you still have the ability to keep your team in the game, that's impressive. I like those kind of outings from young players because I think that teaches you about their character and their competitiveness. And he's definitely a competitive guy. I honestly think he's going to be just fine. We saw Ronaldo Lopez. He's overpowering. I mean, last year when I saw him in spring training going into the 2017 season, I was going, this guy needs to be on the team right now, today, when I saw him in spring training. Not My thought on him hasn't changed since. He's going to be somebody that just flat out dominates. Now, he's just like any other great starter. He's going to have a bad outing here and there, but I, I expect him, as long as he is around the plate, he's going to pile up some strikeouts and he's going to blow people away. He's just got too good of an arm not to be a future star in the staff. 
Everybody wants to know when Eloy Jimenez and Michael Kopech will get the call up to the majors. Of course, um, Jimenez, uh, a pec injury, so we'll see how that affects his timeline. Um, I guess if you could just guess, Darren, because everybody wants to know when these two will be brought up, and, and Rick Hans really hasn't given an answer. He says they can force the issue. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. If you had a guess, Darren, when would you say those guys will be up on the big league club? <laughs> oh, so you go to Rick Hahn, now you want me to figure it out. Yeah, right? kind of, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, all right, well, um, look, I, I'm going with what I saw last year when it came to letting the top prospects spend some time down the minor leagues and still polish their skills. Kopech, he's probably going to go down to minor leagues, and he's going to dominate, got a really good chance later this year to get called up to the big leagues because of his dominance. Um, Jimenez. I think he stays a whole year down in the minor leagues, maybe a September-type call-up. But I think you have to I, – I do believe, especially when it comes to hitters, you have to let them get their at-bats. You have to let them figure out how do you adjust to sliders when that's all they're throwing to you. How do you take a pitch away from these guys? And you learn that by getting a certain amount of at-bats throughout your minor league career. If you rush guys, they get to the big leagues. Big league pitchers can pick you apart make you feel bad about yourself. So you don't want that to happen to Jimenez, no matter how great his raw skill is and talent. Let him get his repetition. Let him get his at-bats. Give him the whole year down there. If, if he gets called up and does well, okay, if there's a spot up here in the big leagues, he makes the team next year. But you know already that the White Sox are not in a rush, no matter what anybody thinks or tries to say about, we got to win now. These guys got a long-term plan of when these younger players they think should be ready to go now. Even with that being said, if these guys go down and they struggle, and we don't think that's going to be the case, that adds to their time down there still getting polished. We're anticipating these guys doing well, but even the best of the best players have something go wrong, and they just have tough years. Hopefully, that's not the case for either of those two. Those are the top two prospects. Before I let you go, DJ, uh, curious as to, you know, I spent a couple weeks out there at spring training, and keeping uh, an eye on some of these prospects and the guy who stood out to me was Dylan Cease in terms of you know maybe a guy not everybody's talking about a whole lot I mean he gets you know he gets some exposure and things like that but guys like Kopech and Jimenez are getting the bulk of the attention is there somebody you saw in the spring that's in the Sox farm system that maybe stood out to you or isn't getting enough headlines and not talked about enough well I'm gonna just say two quick names but then I'm gonna talk about another guy uh Luis Robert Mm-hmm. Unbelievable talent. I couldn't believe what I saw from him. And uh, Basabe, I couldn't believe what I saw from him. These guys really impressed, looked like they did not, you know, they didn't stand out as minor leaguers in big league camp. So that was really impressive. But a guy that I, I'm keeping an eye out on is Alec Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy that I look at and I go, huh, I don't know. I think he's going to surprise some people. I, I, I think he's a guy that we can talk about all the prospects in the world, the big names, the ones we all know, the hype up. But he's a guy that might just creep right in. You're, you're, you're talking about a game being started tomorrow, and you're going to be talking about Hanson standing on the mound. He's my sleeper, I think, that's going to kind of get here a little quicker than most people are talking about. He's Darren Jackson. You can hear him on the radio call at WGN this entire season. Uh, DJ and Ed Farmer on the White Sox call will be in uh, Toronto for the finale tonight. Is that right? Yeah, tonight. And then home opener Thursday. Correct. Looking forward to that. Darren, really appreciate your time and uh, looking forward to seeing you out of the park this season. All right, Kevin. Thank you for the time. You're the best. See you soon. Thanks, Darren. All right. Bye-bye. Darren Jackson. Appreciate his time. Some interesting stuff there.
Yeah, Alec Hansen is he has a uh, a lot of people um, are are interested in the guy. I mean, he's 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 a tall man. He's a big man. So when you see somebody that tall, six nine, six ten, whatever he's listed at, um, a lot of moving parts. Mechanics can be a, a, a bit difficult, but yeah, a lot of people high hopes for Alec Hansen. So it's uh, interesting stuff from DJ. Appreciate him jumping on. You can hear him on the radio call all season on WGN. He and Ed Farmer with the call. Coming up next on Sports Central, we'll play back an interview. Patrick Sharp, will, um, he was on with Steve Cochran this morning on WGN Radio. We'll play that back for you next on Sports Central. What? Um, yes! What? Um, no! What? Let me think, let me think. Ooh. Yeah! Good talk, Coach. Thanks. Maybe we should stick the radio. He's got a point. <laughs> Chicago Sports Conversation. This is Sports Central with Adam Hogue. Adam Hogue is off today. I'm Kevin Powell filling in. We're on till 2 o'clock. Appreciate you tuning in. Happy Wednesday. We uh, talked a little Tiger earlier to start the show. We'll revisit some more Master stuff uh, towards the end of the show here. Hogue and I yesterday on this show had a conversation about people screaming dumb stuff at golf tournaments. <laughs> Baba Booey, mashed potatoes. And I actually said get in the hole almost feels nostalgic at this point. Like, that's the original chant at golf tournaments. Like, when people first started yelling stupid stuff when guys were teeing off, um, it was get in the hole. Now it's just crazy stuff people yell out. Scalloped potatoes, mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, garlic potatoes. So anyways, we're going to, uh, Ben Anderson, dominant producer, pulled up a whole bunch of stuff people have yelled um, at golf events. And the Masters does not mess around with this stuff. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But the Masters, like if you yell anything and it's deemed even a little bit inappropriate or obnoxious, you're gone. And you'll never step foot on Augusta National ever again. They keep track of individual ticket numbers that are associated with the patrons. So, um, but anyways, we'll get to that in a minute. Patrick Sharp, Blackhawks forward, joined Steve Cochran this morning on WGN. And uh, take a listen. Always good stuff with uh, Steve and uh, Breakfast with the Blackhawk on WGN. Here's Steve and Patrick Sharp. Through center ice over the shark line to the left circle. Gustafson pinching to the left corner. Did it break it behind the net? Put it in front. Sharp shoots. He scores! Patrick Sharp off of a beautiful setup from the cat. Sharp let it rip from the slot. And Jones got a piece of it, but it deflected over the goal line and into the back of the shark net. And we're tied at three. The veteran Patrick Sharp coming through. Let's go. Three, two, one. The Steve Cochran Show presents Breakfast with a Blackhawk. Sponsored by MB Financial Bank. MB means business. Not just any Blackhawk, we're talking about one of the best. Patrick Sharp joins us on the line for Breakfast with a Blackhawk. Patrick Sharp, thanks for being here. Appreciate it, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. Good morning, guys. Good morning. So, uh, of course, uh, we have our uh, listener question. We'll get to that in just a second. My question for you, do you have special April plans? You're not used to having time off <laughs> coming up here for the playoffs. But uh, in, in all seriousness, what does it mean for you as a player to to be in a situation where you haven't been in the last uh, six or seven years, where you don't have uh, the playoffs to look forward to? Yeah, that's a good point. It's uh, it's an unfamiliar situation for a lot of guys in our locker room and uh, it's kind of disappointing when you think about it uh, playing the 82 games is uh, such a grind you want to get through it uh, healthy you want to get through it as best you can and, and you want to gear up for playoffs uh, at the right time and 
obviously we're not doing that this year, so we're going to have a little extra time on our hands. But the amount of hockey that some of these guys have played in our locker room, maybe it can be a good thing going forward. Uh, you know, get healthy, get rested, do some training, and and have a better season next year. You know, Patrick, you always look for uh, silver linings in, in seasons that are tough and kind of up and down. And I'm curious to get your thoughts about uh, Debrinket because you guys have played on the line together. You you set up his first goal, and uh, he just returned the favors we heard in that highlight. But what, what's it been like playing with him? Yeah, it's about time he returned the favor, right? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, no, it's been uh, it's been great playing with him. It's been great hanging out with him on and off the ice. He's, uh, he's a young kid that's got a, a mind for the game. He loves talking hockey. He always wants to get better. He's got the uh, the skill and ability that we can all see in the game, and the numbers he's putting up at the at a young age is pretty special. So you could name him. You could name Nick Schmaltz. I think had a good year. Who's very promising player going forward. There's a handful of guys in our locker room that. You can really get excited about and I uh, think over the, the off season with some training and uh, some regrouping, the team can, can bounce back. You know, for you, it's interesting. I was reading Mark Lazarus's book, and he talked about how in the early days, your rookie season, they sent you out to the uh, to the metro stations to hand out free tickets for the Blackhawks, and people didn't know who you were. <laughs> it's a very very interesting to think about that now. But as you, you know, another part that he said in the book was that, and this just came out recently, that uh, players from around the league they they actually don't like to come to Chicago and play anymore because it's such a, a hostile environment. That wasn't always the case, and you're a perfect. Uh, guy to ask this question because when you started it, it it's much different than than it is today at the united center yeah it is i'm not sure who those players are because i think chicago is is a top place to play in the league and that's the reason why i'm back here playing for the hawks it's uh it's great to play tonight center Twenty two thousand fans every night uh times have changed from from 2005 until now when i got started yeah, Duncan, Keith, and I wore our, our red Blackhawks jerseys, went down to the train station, and were passing out free tickets to games, and uh, we still couldn't get anybody's attention back then. I think I think times have changed, and if the two of us did that now, it would be a little bit different. Yeah, but, right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what makes things uh, so great about Chicago is is the relationship with the, the fan base, and it's disappointing that we couldn't have a better year for them this year, but... And I think Chicago is one of the best places to play. It, it's, I hear that all the time from you guys talking about disappointment and and you know how the season has played out because there are a lot of teams in Chicago and other sports that don't make the playoffs or maybe they don't do it as often as the, as the Blackhawks do. And you don't necessarily hear the players talking about disappointment or letting down the fans. I mean, that relationship is special between Blackhawks players and Blackhawks fans. Talk about that and, and why I hear over and over the players talk about the word disappointment. Uh, it's not every day you can uh, have a full building from start to finish. I mean, going back to September, the training camp game, red against white, uh, the inter-squad game, we had a full building. And everywhere we go on the road, there's red red and white jerseys in the stands supporting us. You know, the fan base is deep in Chicago. Uh, you feel it as a player. It has a, a very family vibe as far as, like, we're all in this together. And uh, it's disappointing when we don't hit your expectations so you don't hit your goals. So, you know, it's been a tough season. It's been a frustrating season, but there has been some positives, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, hopefully we can build on those as a group and, and be better in the future. All right, let's get our listener question in. This one's from Andrew Pendelski uh, from Illinois. He asks, what do, you look in f- what do you look to work on during the offseason? Do you have the same offseason regimen, or do you adjust depending on how you played the previous year? Yeah, I think everyone's different. I think everybody looks to adjust uh, based on how they're feeling, uh, the age of the player, you know, injuries, um, where the game is going. So, 
you know, we got this great new facility at uh, in Chicago, the MB Financial Arena. Uh, the place is awesome. It's got every training tool that you could ask for as a hockey player. So I think there's going to be a lot of guys from the team you know, spend a little more time in Chicago in the offseason training at that facility. Uh, we got a great strength coach, Paul Goodman, and that's going to put us through some stuff. Uh, but everybody's different. You know, I think some guys like to get away, clear their minds, um, whether that's uh, spend time with their family and friends or golf or go on vacation, whatever. But, you know, whatever it is, um, I think it's an important summer for the Hawks, and we all got to make sure we get better and, and, uh, and look to the future. Well, I'm already jacked up for next year. <laughs> that's good. Uh, Patrick Sharp, of course, uh, the famed Chicago Blackhawk, joining us for breakfast at the Blackhawks. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Patrick Sharp on the Steve Cochran Show and Steve off this morning. I knew that. It was Justin Kaufman with the interview. Justin is in for Steve, and you heard Andy Mazur as well, who's in for Dave Ennett. Steve and Dave will be back on tomorrow for the White Sox opener. They'll be broadcasting from Sox Park. And then it's a fun show, uh, multiple shows at Cork and Carey at the park. Bill and Wendy will kick things off at 10 a.m. Steve Bertrand will be out there from noon to 1, and then at, from 1 to 2.30, it's a whole hodgepodge. It's John Williams' show, but Roe will be there, Anna will be there, Violetta will be there, I'll be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that tomorrow. No Sports Central tomorrow, by the way, because it's just it's a crazy day for our, our engineers, and there's a million things going on, and it's opening day. So um, just going to uh, shelve tomorrow's show. We'll be back on, uh, on Friday. Hogue will be on Friday with you guys. Uh, Blackhawks play in St. Louis tonight, and then their f- uh, home finale is Friday night. The Rocan Show will be live at the United Center. We always like doing those, and uh, you know, it's weird. Normally, this is the time of year when we're, we're gearing up for the playoffs. White Sox or uh, Blackhawks are working on playoff positioning, things like that, but no postseason for the Hawks this year. First time in a decade. It's kind of weird to say, but yeah. Can't expect them to do it every year, I guess. So um, Blackhawks on WGN tonight. We'll also have the White Sox game, which I believe is on AM 1000 because it's conflicting broadcast. Um, so you can hear that there. So that's Patrick Sharp was on the Steve Cochran Show. He talked with Justin Kaufman, uh, Kaufman and Andy Mazur. Uh, up next on Sports Central, more Masters talk. It's Masters Week. They tee off tomorrow morning for the opening round. Today's the Par 3 stuff. I'll tell you a cool story about a full-time firefighter who's going to compete in the Masters. Tell you about that next, and we'll also revisit some of the idiotic things people have yelled from the golf gallery. Get in the hole, Baba Booey. We'll play back some of those uh, next on Sports Central. Chicago's Sports Conversation. This is Sports Central with Adam Hogue. We're back on Sports Central. I'm Kevin Powell in for Adam Hogue today. Hogue somewhere. I don't know where he is. Appreciate you tuning in. Happy Wednesday. And uh, we it is Masters Week. And uh, as a golf junkie, this is like the best week of the year for golf. No question about it. And uh, there's a certain interest in this year's Masters because Tiger is back. Tiger Woods is back. Phil Mickelson's playing well. He has a win this year. Some a lot of great young golfers, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, of course, Roy McIlroy. McIlroy, by the way, just one off from the career Grand Slam. If he wins the Masters, he's got him. He's got all four. I think only ten players have done that. Or five, five. Maybe we can look that up for corrections, Ben. How many players have, have achieved the career Grand Slam in golf? Um. Anyways, in golf, a lot of times the gallery. 
likes to yell stupid stuff as the golfers swing, whether it's on the tee box or near the putting green. At Augusta, they don't mess around. If you're yelling stupid stuff from the gallery, you're out. You're done. And you're never going back to Augusta National. Let's start with cut 10 here. We're going to revisit some of the dumb things people have yelled from the golf gallery. Cut 10, Ben. Yabba dabba doo! Little yabba dabba doo action. Cut 11. What do we got there, Ben? Light the candle! What? <laughs> I love the... Uh, we may have to play that one back. The... Uh, the guy sounds like angry when he's yelling it. And the broadcaster's like, what? Can we play that one again? Light the candle! Light the candle! <laughs> That's outstanding. He sounds so pissed off. Light the candle! The broadcaster's like, what? One more time for me. Let's play that one back. Light the candle! What? Okay, I love that one. I prefaced all this by saying stupid things people have yelled from the gallery, but I enjoyed Light the Candle. All right, what's cut 12, Ben? Chewbacca! That one's impressive because he holds it for a while. You know? And if you listen carefully, like another guy chimes in and they harmonize. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it kind of drags on. Let's play that one back again. Dear God. Well, it is hump day. We should play cut 13. That's fitting. Hump day? Hump day. Remember that was a, a big thing. What commercial was that? A State Farm commercial? The camel walking around? Pumped about hump day? I, I think it was hump. State Farm. Yeah, State hump Farm day. hump day. Yeah. All right. Cut 14. We all know these ones. What do we What do we got? A double there. Double action. Baba Booey and mashed potatoes. I still don't know the 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 origin of the mashed potatoes call. I don't either. I, I was trying to look that up earlier. Nothing. Today. No, just a whole lot of mashed potatoes all over the PGA. Well, sticking with the potatoes theme, cut fifteen. Go potatoes! Please, enough of that. This is a major. <laughs> Please, this is a major. You should keep that as a drop. This is a major. Every time there's a major tournament. I love that. Can we play uh, Cut 11 again, Ben, if you've got it queued up? Light the candle! What? I love the conviction he delivers it with, and I love... Is that Nats going, what? That's so good. It it sounded like it. I couldn't find you know exactly who the broadcaster was, because all of the clips were short. Yeah, right. How about one more time? Light the candle! What? Light the candle. <laughs> Doesn't even make sense. None of them really do. I love it. Masters Week. You won't be hearing any of that at Augusta. And if you do, that particular individual will be removed from Augusta National immediately. Uh, Tiger, by the way, tees off 942 tomorrow morning. I will be watching. And I can't wait. I love Masters Week. Uh, I think it's time for Buried Headlines, Ben, as we wrap this one up. This Wednesday edition of Sports Central. Just a couple minutes left here, and we always like to do Buried Headlines and corrections. We'll see uh, what I screwed up. Ben can let me know. There is a uh, a golfer in the field at the Masters, 30-year-old, 30-year-old Matt Parzial. 
P-A-R-Z-I-A-L-E. I think that's how you say it. I'm sure we'll know for sure how to say the name after this weekend. Parziol is a full-time firefighter in Brockton, Massachusetts. He won the U.S. Mid-Amateur Championship in Atlanta last October. October That garnered a berth in the Masters in the 2018 U.S. Open. He tweeted a picture uh, last Christmas Eve. USPS equals Santa Claus, the best Christmas present. And it's an invitation from the Board of Governors at the Augusta National Golf Club cordially inviting him to participate in the 2018 Masters Tournament. That's awesome. Guy had hopes of being a pro golfer. When he realized that wasn't going to happen, he turned to uh, firefighting. And now the dude, 30-year-old, wins the U.S. Mid-Amateur last last fall, and now he's going to the Masters. I'll be pulling for him. Even if this guy was like competing Sunday, I'd still root for Tiger over him, to be honest. That's all right. I'll cheer him on for you. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll you cover. can you can you can root for this guy. Awesome story though. Thirty year old going to play in the Masters. Pretty incredible. It's really the only buried headline I have for you. Do you got anything, Ben, that I missed? Uh, I got one for you. Uh, you you had asked about this. Uh, there are five, five, five golfers okay. that career grand Tiger, mm-hmm. Jack. Yep. I don't think Arnold Palmer does. Uh, Gary nope. Player. Gary Player. Yeah. Yep. Who are the other two? Ben Hogan and Gene Sarazen. Gene Sarazen, okay. I wouldn't guess that. Ben Hogan, yeah, makes sense. Huh, Rory McIlroy. Phil's missing the the uh, U.S. Open. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. But that's a shame. He won't have a career grand slam. Maybe not. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Maybe he'll pull something out. Uh, any correction? That was the only correction, right? Okay, that's that, all we got? Yeah, okay. that was it. All right, well, that's Wednesday's edition of Sports Central. I'm Kevin Powell filling in for Adam Hogue, who will be back Friday. No show tomorrow, by the way. Opening day for the Sox. It's going to be crazy, busy for engineers. Just not enough. Um, just pretty much impossible to do it tomorrow. We have shows at Cork and Cary. Cochran and Ennett will be at Sox Park. 35th and Shields getting things going tomorrow morning. I'll be out there at 740 with Cochran. Probably jump on with Bill and Wendy at some point. Try to work a free meal in at Cork and Cary. Uh, looking forward to that. Blackhawks hockey on WGN tonight. Sox on AM 1000, I want to say. And uh, who was on the show today? Darren Jackson, who will be on the White Sox radio call throughout the season. He joined us and uh, appreciated him. You can listen back to that interview and play back Patrick Sharp, who was on the Steve Cochran show. Justin Kaufman filling in for Cochran uh, this morning. Appreciate everybody listening. This is Wednesday's edition of Sports Central. I'm Kevin Powell. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.